Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this time which you have set aside from the very beginning that we could rest, recreate, be with you, and spend time in your word. So Lord, I I thank you for this opportunity we have to come before your word this morning and ask what you would have to say to us today through it. Lord, I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would more deeply understand this life to which we have been called, of following Jesus. And it's in his name I pray these things. Amen. Well, throughout this Lenten season, uh, we're journeying through a a seven-week sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, uh, which um, is... Uh, something that we sang about this morning, we recited it last week, and we'll be reciting it throughout uh, this, uh, this Lenten season. Um, and my, my hope for, for this sermon series is that we can look beyond the creed itself um, to some of the biblical truths it points to and consider what those truths mean for our lives today. And as I shared last week, uh, creeds do not hold any authority in and of themselves but they point outside of themselves to the ultimate authority of the Word of God. So, so the creeds of the faith are kind of like the moon, right? Which the moon does not have its own light, but it reflects the light of the sun. So just as the moon reflects the light of the sun, the Apostles' Creed reflects biblical truths about our faith. And the phrase of the creed that we're going to be exploring today is, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Now this, this line of the creed points to two biblical truths. And the first truth is found in John 3.16, which says, if you know it, go ahead and say it along with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Alright, so that's the gospel in a nutshell, amen? That God looked upon us in our, in our sin and brokenness and yet loved us enough to send His one and only Son to die the death that we deserved so that we might have life. But the second biblical truth that this line of the creed points to is where the grace of God gets costly. Because Jesus Christ is not just God's only Son, but when we say the Apostles' Creed, we profess Him to be our Lord. Now, the, the word Lord is, is used quite a bit throughout the Bible, so we may not think about it a whole lot uh, when we say it, but essentially when you declare someone to be your Lord, you declare them to be your master. All right, now this, this idea uh, may not sit well with us as people who live in a culture that values individual freedom. Right, the, the, main, the reigning mentality of our culture seems to be Your truth is not my truth, so I'll do me, you do you, and we'll both be just fine, right? We don't want anybody telling us what to think, say, or do, and we especially don't want anybody telling us how to live our lives. So when it comes to believing in a Jesus who offers us forgiveness and saves us from our sins, we can handle that, right? After all, who doesn't want a second chance? But when it comes to declaring Jesus to be Lord or master over our lives, that's a little harder to stomach. 
However, what I want you to know today is that declaring Jesus to be not only your Savior, but your Lord, is essential to your eternal salvation. And this is because being a follower of Jesus is a whole lot more than saying you believe in Him and reaping the benefits of salvation. It, because it's one thing to, to believe in your head that Jesus is God's only Son and that He died for your sins. But it's another thing altogether to declare Jesus as Lord over your life and to live accordingly. So what does it mean to, to declare Jesus as Lord, as we just sang in that hymn before this sermon? Well, Peter finds out in our scripture reading for this morning. Uh, so go ahead and open your Bibles back up to Luke chapter 9. If you don't have your Bibles with you, there are Bibles in your pews in front of you, uh, or you can turn them on uh, on your cell phones. Um, and uh, let's walk through this passage of scripture this morning in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. So our, our passage for this morning um, begins with Jesus questioning his apostles about the word on the street, basically. He says, who do the crowds say that I am? Verses 18 and 19. He says, they were, they were praying in private together, and Jesus said, who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Now, from the apostles' response, it sounds like public opinion was that Jesus was another person in a long line of prophets who had come to prepare the way for Israel's promised king, the Messiah. All right, So because of his message and the signs and wonders that he had performed, some even speculated that he was Elijah, who was taken body and spirit into heaven, and who the prophet Malachi had said would return when the day of the Lord was at hand. But Jesus wasn't merely interested in public opinion, so he follows up his first question with an even more personal question towards his apostles. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, after having not only heard what Jesus had to say and seen the things that he had done, but after having journeyed with him and witnessing his power firsthand, declares, you are God's Messiah. Now, there are many today who regard Jesus in a similar way to the crowds, maybe as a prophet. Okay, So Jesus is, is often held alongside other spiritually enlightened individuals such as Buddha, Muhammad, or Confucius. Right? Many respect Jesus' teachings and, and see him as an example of how to live a good life. But many don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. If Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? they would likely respond in a similar way to the crowds, right? Well, I see you as a prophet. I see you as a, a teacher or an example of how to live my life. But if you have witnessed the power of Jesus to redeem your life from the power of sin, if you've witnessed the power of Jesus to restore broken relationships, if you've witnessed the power of the living, resurrected Christ to transform your heart and life, you know that Jesus is more than just some great teacher who lived long ago. If you know that this morning, can I get an amen? amen? Jesus is the Messiah, the very Son of God. 
Now, when Peter made that confession, it's apparent that he didn't understand the, the full weight of what he was saying. The, the stories that directly follow this story prove that. But, but Peter at least recognized that Jesus was more than, than simply a prophet or a teacher who had come to prepare the way for Israel's promised king. He was the real deal. But then something weird happens. Jesus strictly warns his apostles not to tell anyone. That seems a little odd, considering that his later commands, he, he later commands to go forth and preach the gospel to all nations. But I think the reason Jesus orders his apostles not to tell anyone is because of the general lack of understanding about who he was and what he came to do, not only on the part of his apostles, but especially the crowds. Prophecies about a Messiah had, had been around for quite a long time, so expectations were high and speculations were everywhere. Everybody had a picture in their mind about what this promised Messiah would be like, and, and many expected him to be a political leader. Right? Jerusalem was under Roman occupation during Jesus' time, so the expectation of the people was that this promised Messiah, or king, would come to overthrow the Roman government and restore Israel to God's people. And when the crowds began to see for themselves that Jesus might be this promised king, they tried to impose these expectations on him. When Jesus performed the, the miracle of feeding over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, if you remember that story, he had to run away from the crowd because they tried to come and take him by force and make him their king. So Jesus realized that, that if word got out prematurely that he was the Messiah, the general public would try to make him in their image of what they expected the Messiah to be and do, instead of receiving him for who he truly was and what he had been sent to do. So after warning the apostles not to tell anyone, he disclosed to them what it truly meant for him to be the Messiah. He said, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now that doesn't sound anything like what the people expected the Messiah to do. But then again, Jesus wasn't about catering to people's expectations. Jesus was crystal clear on who he was and what he had been sent to do, and the apostles could only come to understand that by continuing to follow him to the cross. So after disclosing his mission to the apostles, Jesus decides to, to let them know what it would cost them to declare him to be the Messiah. He wanted to give them clarification on what they just professed. And said, let me tell you what it costs if I'm going to be your Messiah, if I'm going to be your Lord. If the apostles were going to continue following this promised king, they needed to know what they were in for. So he says in verses 23 through 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow after me. Now, of course, with the cross in hindsight, that makes a little bit more sense to us. But imagine hearing that for the first time, not knowing Jesus' destiny and not realizing what exactly he was getting at 
that he's telling his apostles that if they, they want to follow him, they have to pick up what's basically the, the modern equivalent of an electric chair to follow him. And daily to boot. And then he continues, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. In John chapter 6, we see people following Jesus because of the signs and wonders that he was performing in healing the sick. But as we find out, these people love the things that Jesus did more than Jesus himself. So later in the Gospel of John, when, when he told these infatuated followers what it truly meant to be his disciple, do you know how they responded? They turned their backs and walked away. Now, I think that we can learn a lesson from some of Jesus' more fickle followers because you see a lot of people who followed Jesus around, at least, and, and wanted to see what he was going to do next were in it for the show. And as soon as Jesus demanded something of them, they were out. And in the same way, I think there are a lot of church-going, self-identified Christians who have not submitted their wills to Jesus. We like the idea of a Jesus who saves us from our sin, who loves us, who promises to be with us always, and who we can turn to in prayer when life gets rough, because it's easy to love a Jesus who does stuff for us, right? But when it comes to loving a Jesus who demands that we love those deemed unworthy of our love, who demands that we repent and turn from the sin that we do love, who demands that we lose our very lives in order to find life, we find that loving that Jesus gets pretty costly pretty quick. Brothers and sisters, following Jesus demands our everything, our very lives. Now, there's been some confusion around the meaning of the phrase, take up your cross. All right, so you might, you might have heard it said, well, this is my cross to bear. And a lot of times, that's when a person is talking about a hardship in their life that's been imposed on them. All right, so maybe a, a sickness, a, a broken relationship, things like that. Now, it's true that Jesus walks with us through those times and that God gives us things, right, or, or life throws at us things that God helps us go through. But this isn't exactly the type of cross that Jesus is talking about picking up daily and dying to ourselves. So if our cross isn't a burden in life that's placed on us, then what is it? Well, I think the key to understanding that lies in the word daily. All right, so notice that, that Jesus said anybody who wants to be his disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow him. All right, so he's talking about a conscious choice, not something that's imposed on us, but a choice to pick up our cross every day and follow after him. So we have to make a daily decision to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And I think denying ourselves is a decision to give up our lives, all right? Our relationships, our conceptions of the world, and all of the, the things that we do that kind of flow from those things. And then taking up our cross is, is a decision to follow Jesus at the expense of what we would otherwise have for the life that used to be ours before we surrendered it to Jesus. 
It's a decision to put the priorities of God's kingdom over our own priorities. Now, I'm not going to tell you that this approach to life is the secret to a happy life. Okay? In, in fact, it's, it's somewhat possible to, to have a happy life without Jesus, believe it or not. You, you can have a, a nice family, a nice job, a nice house, and a nice car, take nice vacations, and have nice things. And all of that will probably bring you some level of fulfillment in this life. But brothers and sisters, the, the whole point Jesus is trying to make to his apostles and to us today is that we are not to live for this life here and now. To live for our personal happiness and fulfillment will lead us to spiritual death. And let me tell you why. Because at the end of the day, happiness is a burden. I'm going to say that one more time because I'm going to relieve you of that burden this morning. <laughs> happiness is a burden. All right? If, if your personal happiness is your main goal in life, you might find it for a little bit, all right? But when, not if, but when it eludes you, you're going to spend all your time and energy worrying about why you're not happy. And then you go seeking for happiness, whether in possessions or relationships or a career or power or popularity or habits. But all you find is a constant want for more, a deep restlessness in your soul that seems incurable. And you start to realize the truth behind Jesus' question to his apostles. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? What good is it? The great Reverend Dr. Billy Graham, who, who just went on to glory this week at age 99, had his priorities straight. And he put it this way. He said, which are you going to choose? The hope of tomorrow or the hope of today? I choose the hope of today and tomorrow. I would rather be the poorest child of God today with the absolute certain hope that with the rising of eternity's sun and the opening of eternity's bank that I will be an heir of God and a joint heir of the Lord Jesus Christ than to be the richest man in the world today. I was recently at a gathering for United Methodist clergy where pastors Rudy and Juanita Rasmus spoke. They're pastors down in Texas at a United Methodist church down there. And Pastor Juanita shared a, a powerful testimony about her experience with depression. About 18 years ago, uh, she journeyed through a season of, of deep depression where she could hardly even get out of bed for months on end. And at that time, she and her husband were pastoring a church that had grown from, get this, nine people to 3,000 people in a very short period of time. And from the outside, it, it appeared that she had it all together. She never had any issues with depression to that point, and life was going pretty well, or so she thought. But one morning, she just woke up and described what felt like being run over by a Mack truck or hit with just a ton of bricks. And through what doctors would later classify as a major depressive episode, God taught her something. Before depression hit her, she was like this, this magnet that had a bunch of stuff stuck to it. Right? She, was a, she was a mother, she was a wife, she was a pastor, she had credentials, 
She had an education, she had contacts and resources and influence, and she was financially stable. But none of that mattered anymore. Depression stripped all of these external things away that were were sticking to her magnet. And she was left with one question. Who am I? Have I defined my identity and my worth based on all these external things that stick to my magnet? Or do I find my identity and worth by who I am in Christ? Can I still be worth something even when I'm laying here in this bed that I cannot physically get out of? And that was a question that she had to come face to face with during that season. I want you to think about your own life in those terms this morning. If you're a magnet, what stuff is sticking to your magnet? Right? Is, is there anything that, that if it fell away, you would feel like you lost your very sense of identity? Is, is there anything that, that you so heavily stake your identity on that if you lost that one thing, whether it's a job, an ability, a friend, a possession, a loved one, that you would feel like you wouldn't even know who you are anymore? It breaks my heart to share this this morning, but my grandfather was this way, God rest his soul. He poured his entire life into a career as a crime scene investigator and eventually a county coroner. Many who knew him professionally regarded him as a great man. But when he eventually retired, he was purposeless, directionless, bereft. He he spent the next 10 years of his life simply waiting to die because he had staked his entire identity on his job and not who he was in Christ. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but when I die, I don't care what letters are or are not after my name, what titles I do or do not hold, what hats I do or do not wear, or how important or unimportant other people think I am. If people can't say anything else about me at my funeral, I want them to be able to say, Adam spent his entire life living for Jesus. In his marriage, in his family life, in his ministry, in his relationships with other people, and in the way he spent his time and, yes, even his money, Adam lived for Jesus. Because living for Jesus should not simply be another thing that sticks to your magnet. You get what I'm saying? Living for Jesus shouldn't just be another thing that sticks to your magnet. It should be part of the very magnet itself. That in everything you say and do, every role you play, every hat you wear, every relationship you have, you are denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following after Jesus. Because again... What good is it for a person to gain the whole world but forfeit their very self? Now maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your magnet's got a lot of stuff sticking to it. All right? 
In fact, maybe it has so much stuff sticking to it that you're not even sure if there's a magnet down there anymore, all right? You're, you're like, well, if, if there is a self to forfeit, I would have to find it first because I'm not really sure where it's buried beneath all the stuff that's sticking to my magnet. Between your responsibilities at work, at home, and elsewhere, maybe you have no, quote, extra time to be with God. And any time you might have is spent crashed on the couch watching Netflix because you're so exhausted. Now, if that's you, allow me to step on your toes in love for just a moment, and only because I care about you, all right? I'd like you to entertain the idea that part of the reason you feel that way might be because you have chosen to stake your identity in the wrong place. Maybe you've gotten the stuff sticking to your magnet confused with the magnet itself. And you know how that happens? When you don't make time or space for God to speak into your life. Now, in Pastor Juanita's case, God didn't give her the option as to whether or not she would make time, right? She described it as if God simply stopped her short until she could get a handle on where her true identity was found. And God used that experience of depression to teach her about her identity in Christ. But since that won't be the case for many of us, that means that, that we have to be intentional and proactive about making time and space to listen for God's voice in our daily lives. So, so how do we tune into God's voice, particularly during this Lenten season? One of the main ways that I'd like to suggest to you this morning is through the practice of fasting. All right, fasting is, is the, 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 the practice of foregoing a basic physical need, such as food, for the purpose of drawing nearer to God's heart and listening for God's voice. So that means if it's, if it's medically possible for you, I'd like to suggest that you try skipping a meal. And instead of using that time to eat, Use it for prayer and scripture reading. Or, if it's not medically possible for you to fast from food, you can try a different kind of fast. For example, uh, how many of you have a Facebook app on your phone? How many? Oh, come on, be honest. How many has got that Facebook app? Okay, now, if you got that Facebook app on your phone, you also have that little red icon that gives you 15 billion notifications per day that your old classmate from high school that you barely knew just leveled up on Candy Crush or something, right? And interrupts your day 500 different times, okay? So instead of checking those notifications that will add nothing to your life, maybe consider replacing your Facebook app, that means deleting it, Replacing your Facebook app with a Bible app. And every time you get the urge to check Facebook, because that's what it becomes when you got those notifications popping up, it's literally a compulsive behavior that you're repeating over and over again. When you get that compulsive or that, that impulse to check your notifications, open your Bible app, read your Bible, tune into God's voice. And what you're going to find through this process of fasting is that God will start to reveal to you areas where your life is not submitted to Jesus' lordship. He'll begin to show you the, the extra unnecessary stuff you have sticking to your magnet. 
and the areas of your life that, that you stake too much of your identity on. And little by little, that unnecessary stuff will begin to fall away. And you'll begin to realize your true identity in Christ and what God's will for your life is. And if I'm being honest, you may not like what you find. right? It might, what you find might make you uncomfortable. Um, what you find might cost you more than you're willing to give at the moment. It, it might push you way out of your comfort zone and into a land of the unknown. But brothers and sisters, the reward is so worth the price. The reward is so worth the price. Because let us not forget that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. In verse 26 of our passage, Jesus says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. That means that making Jesus Lord of your life and choosing to follow him, while yes, it is a costly decision, it is not nearly as costly as choosing not to follow Jesus. That is the most costly decision that you could possibly make. Because you see, I would rather something cost me everything in this life than spend the rest of eternity paying the price that Jesus offered to pay on the cross if I would only follow him. That's all Jesus asks. He offers us that grace. He offers us eternal life if we just follow him. Brothers and sisters, our one goal in this life should be to hear the words that I believe Billy Graham heard this week when he passed. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, your Lord, your Savior, Jesus Christ. If we can hear those words, does it matter what they cost us in this life? My prayer today is that we would begin to realize what we mean when we profess to believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. That declaring Jesus to be our Lord means a willingness to lose our lives, our plans, our hopes, our dreams, in order to find the new life that Jesus has in store for us. To truly experience the power of the resurrection and new life that we celebrate on Easter, we first must have to die to our old lives. Because every part of your old self that dies, your old life that dies, your old habits that die, your old desires that die, makes way for the new life that Jesus has in store for you. So as you begin to think about what that means for you today, I think step one is simply surrendering to Jesus. To pray, Jesus, not only do I believe that you can save me from my sins, but I want you to be Lord over my life. I don't want to call the shots anymore. I want to deny myself, take up my cross daily, and follow after you. Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message this morning and these hard words from Jesus about what it means to be his disciple. And God, I just pray that during this Lenten season that you would call us to a time of fasting, whatever that looks like for us, 
whatever things that we can deny ourselves of in a given day that will allow us to tune into your voice. Lord, I, I just pray through that process that you would begin to reveal to us all of these extra things that are, that are sticking to our magnet that don't necessarily need to be there. Lord, and, and the things that do need to be there, that we wouldn't stake our identity on the things that stick to our magnet, but Lord, that we would see that our identity is in Christ and Christ alone, that we are His beloved children, and that He loved us enough to die on the cross for our sins. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would call us to that sacrificial living, Lord. And if there's anybody here this morning who just feels that they've walked away from that, Lord, who, who feels that they, they're not really truly submitting their lives to you, Lord, would you just call them back in love this morning by the strength of your Spirit? Would you just let them know that they are loved by you? that there is grace available for all those times that they've fallen short, Lord, and that they can start anew. That this Lenten season is another chance to recommit their lives to you. So Lord, I just pray that if there's anybody here this morning who needs to commit their lives to Jesus, recommit their lives to Jesus, Lord, that you would just give them the strength to do that. And that as each of us go from this place this day, Lord, we would learn more deeply each day what it means to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen.